welcome to Savage Beast. I'm Joe Gallagher, and with me, as usual, Paul McLeod. Hey, hey everybody. <laughs> Whoa. Um, I forgot to turn off my uh, audio feedback, so I sounded like I was on drugs there. Um, uh, yes. <laughs> Turning off the audio feedback is why you sound like that. No, I'm not on drugs right now. Uh, um, Paul. Not until not until I see Vince Staples in a couple days will oh, I be on drugs. There you go. Um, I will alert the Tucson PD. Um, <laughs> uh, Paul, wh- uh, why have we not received any publicity uh, for the multiple sex tapes we have released since this podcast <laughs> went on air? Uh, hmm. I wish I'd thought of a good answer for this beforehand, but... Um, I don't know. I assume everybody is just too intimidated by the size of our manhood to uh, speak of it in public. That's yes. Perhaps it's uh, it's too frighteningly erotic uh, for even the internet to talk about. Yeah, um, I mean, you can only presume. Uh, so, so let's let's just not say why we said that for like ten minutes, and people <laughs> just think we're weird. Um, so this that we opened with the track. Psychic City by uh, the band Yacht. Uh, and that that track is, um, it's just one of my favorite songs of all time. Um, real bouncy anthem of indie glitch dance pop. Mm-hmm. I don't, um, Good for boning on camera, too. Or fake boning on camera, too. Apparently so. So the scandal breaking today, uh, either... Uh, the yacht, which is a couple, uh, a man and a woman who make music and make love together. Uh, either they had a sex tape um, released uh, against their permission, um, which they talked about on Facebook, and then decided to sell themselves to kind of take control of it again. Or yeah. they made all that up as a publicity stunt for a forthcoming single. And are yeah. not really selling a sex tape. And given that no one has actually been able to find the sex tape or buy it successfully. And given their history of sort of being uh, avant concept types. Uh, yeah. And, uh, I, I, you know, I have to say I'm supportive of Yacht either way. Uh, in in that they, I, I hope that someone didn't steal their sex tape and release it. And also, I mean, I guess... Uh, even though I might be in really poor taste, I support their right to weird experiments in internet publicity and shaming. It's a big week for weird internet publicity campaigns between them and Radiohead. Yes, it is. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that. It's uh, uh, with a situation like this, it could really go either way. Uh, let's let's presume that it's fake. If it's if it's not fake, then um, all apologies for ever doubting them, and I hope the person who did this rots in hell. Um, but presuming it is fake, uh, it would be. It's like it really could either be uh, sort of a, a clever provocation or just um, tiresome and uh, childish and potentially harmful. So. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say how to feel about it. Yes. Uh, re- revenge porn seems like a really lame thing to, to make fun of. To to to, to, to hijack to, for commercial purposes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, but uh, what's a... It's, it's certainly a unique... Uh, scandal and one which could only <laughs> happen in our time. Um, true, true. In the future, all sex tapes will instantly be made available on the internet, whether you want them to or not, because there will be no security whatsoever. So this is really the sweet spot for accidental leaks of sex tapes. Uh, or they'll be so secure that no one's sex tape will ever leak. And this will be known as the uh, golden age of sex tape leaks. Mm. <laughs> then you'll know that every time they get leaked, it's because somebody's just a publicity whore. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. Um, yeah. um, it's nice that we have a, a indie rock scandal to discuss uh, in real time. Yeah. Especially because indie rock people are generally sort of boring. So They are. It's usually just their uh, record labels and pub- publicists getting into trouble. 
That is true. There was that rapist publicist. Yeah. Not to get into that. No, he, he, what can you get into? Except he seems like a dick. Yeah. Um, uh, and then occasionally the guy, like the guy from waves will get into fight with someone from another band and that's true. And they'll end up trying to punch each other. Um, yeah, that's always fun. Um, okay. So, uh, uh, the theme of today's episode is uh, how we listen to music, uh, how we listen to it physically and um, chronologically, and uh, just how Paul. This, wait, go ahead. I was just going to say the situations we engineer for the listening of music. Yes, and how that affects our uh, the the processing and enjoyment of the music at hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think to, we'll start out um, by asking you, Paul, how did you listen to a moon shaped pool? Uh, the new <laughs> album from Radiohead. Yeah. So that just came out yesterday. Today is Monday, uh, May 9th, late in the day. Um, so I have listened to it once. I listened to uh, burn the witch a few times last week um, after it came out. And then I avoided any listening of uh, here's my failure with names again. The second track Day, uh, daydreaming daydreaming. Yes. Um, uh, because I want, yeah, by then I knew when the album was coming. And so I was like, I'll just wait two days and listen to the whole thing. Um, and I appreciated Radiohead releasing the uh, first track as the single. So it was like, I didn't even get things out of order. Um, but, um, yeah, so I bought it the, uh, a few minutes before the official release time of 11 AM, um, my time Pacific time on Sunday. And then I, uh, uh, installed my mother-in-law's, uh, over stove microwave and, uh, did mother's day stuff. And then finally late in the evening, um, actually early this morning after midnight, I, uh, listen to the album on headphones while um, uh, chilling in my backyard and then moving into my, uh, into my living room in the dark and just uh, focusing on the headphones listening experience all in order. Uh, that uh, sounds like a, a perfect way to listen to Radiohead. Uh, we have, I just, I want to note that we have, um, we listened to Amnesiac together for the first time in the dark on headphones in your parents' house. Did we did we put on headphones next to each other and listen to it? Uh, yes. I don't remember this. I uh, think we, you, me, and Jesse all had uh, uh, our own uh, Discman and headphones. That's and funny. I remember we all. I remember buying it all together. I did not remember. Yeah, I remember how we listened to your it. siblings. Uh, like a couple of them would like peer in and be like, "What are they doing?" Yeah, they're jerking off, aren't they? <laughs> I, it meant in a way, yes. Yeah, I mean, they could probably see the boners. But, yes. Um, um, uh, so, uh, so how did you listen to the album? So I actually, so I listened, um, I was traveling yesterday on the day it came out. Um, so while I had the experience of, um, you know, finding out the name of the album, uh, looking at the track list, uh, gasping when the last track was true love waits and, um, uh, texting you about that immediately. Uh, yeah. which is the only thing we've said to each other about this album, uh, was just me, uh, texting you, holy shit, track 11. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> so then I, and that was pretty much the internet's reaction. Twitter was yes. full of like, oh my God, true love waits. Um, which the first recorded instance of that song, uh, I believe was 21 years ago, uh, yeah. which is pretty amazing. Um, and, uh, Okay, so then I uh, I took a long flight from Houston to Portland, uh, was exhausted when I got back here, uh, and decided not to listen to it until today. So then today, um, in the early afternoon, when I was done with all the bullshit errands I had to do today, um, I uh, moved my furniture around in my living room so there would be a totally unobstructed path for my speakers <laughs> Um, oh, nice. And then just sat on my couch and uh, 
uh, listen to the wave files uh, going from my laptop uh, through a uh, digital to analog converter um, to my 70s era pioneer stereo uh, receiver <laughs> out to my um, uh, smaller advent uh, speakers, which I believe are from the late sixties. They might be from the seventies. Um, mm. and, uh, uh, they create beautiful, uh, lush, warm tones and are very good at what I think is called staging, which yeah. is, which is where you can really, uh, see the music. You can, you can separate, you can place the sounds physically. Yes. Is the idea there. Yes. Um, which turned out to be very good for this album. So that's that's the only time I listened to this album all the way through. I listened to Burn the Witch a Bunch last week, and yeah. I listened to a couple of the tracks on headphones afterwards and um, found them to be uh, uh, very different on headphones. Really? Yeah. I would dearly love to listen to it live, but I have these three small children who are always either running around making noise or asleep. Um so that makes it tough. Time to time to uh, you know get them all at get send them all to In and Out for a milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good idea. Uh, My wife is usually too sick of them to. Uh, she's usually trying to pawn them on me by the time I get home. So, <laughs> um, so I guess that was a pretty long prelude um, yeah. to uh, our actual. Oh, go ahead. Well, did you want to discuss the music at all before we get into our sort of meta discussion or of? Yes, we uh, must stuff? have. Oh my gosh, we must. Yes, this is a. This is a. That was a prelude to you know our the topic of the podcast, but we must now share our first reactions uh, to yeah. uh, Radiohead's ninth album. Which, in my case, are extremely preliminary. I don't know how you feel. I mine mine are pretty preliminary. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I've only listened to it once like 1.3 times so yeah Yeah. well um uh i did read uh like the new york times insta review of it okay uh, it's pretty good and uh the the pitchfork guide to the album um (laughs) i've avoided like they're like that was like their let's throw something up real quick so that uh while we while we craft our uh, official review piece of content um such are the imperatives of the click economy especially um, when you've been bought by a media conglomerate yeah exactly um by the way uh shout out to pitchfork for boldly putting their mobile navigation menu on the bottom of the screen which i've never seen anybody do it's uh, almost unusable um anyway um they're um so uh I agree. You know, the, the thing that seems to be standing out to everybody and definitely stood out to me as I was listening the first time is, uh, that they've really given themselves over to the, uh, modern classical orchestration that Johnny has, um, kind of been making his main thing (laughs) over the past decade as Radiohead becomes sort of an infrequent dalliance, uh, for all the members really. Yes. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, it's interesting because, um, you know, the thing they do with that uh, more so on this album than in the past is, you know, there'll be these like bursts of flowing beauty and then a whole lot of just sort of uh, uh, tense, uh, you know, sort of what's the word I'm looking for? Um, tense sort of harmonic wandering, you might say. Um, I don't know. I felt like this was uh, definitely. Um, uh, not that pop oriented in its songwriting and uh there's nothing wrong with that but it made it a little hard to really get a grip on it after one listen how did you feel um well i uh um i thought the album i thought it was beautiful music beautiful was the mm-hmm. word that came to mind uh yeah. it's like beautiful songs and arrangements uh the acoustic and electric guitars uh were quite striking Mm -hmm. there were a lot of stunning shifts and gorgeous layers uh and it's all beautiful and kind of came together to me um and i think this really relates to how i listened to it um in a way it seemed to me radio heads 
version of an acoustic album because yeah. I felt that it was all organic and orchestrated. It, every instrument seemed to be a, a real instrument that you could, you know, play unamplified in a room. Um, um, yeah. uh, you know, with, and, and there are so many fewer, um, you know, glitchy beats and sa- weird uh, electronic vintage instruments. Fewer uh, beats generally. Yeah. It was definitely, you know, like in uh, Un Rainbows, um, it's not exactly an electronic album, but even on the rock songs, the, the drums are mixed very high. And I thought they were actually, maybe it was just my uh, headphone setup, but I thought they were noticeably uh, further in the background on this album. That could be true. I need to, I need to listen to it again. Um, and, uh, I, I guess my initial impression was, uh, really positive. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, um, happy, I guess I, you know, <laughs> I just had a, I had a, it had a good feeling listening to, um, uh, something so lush, uh, yeah. and, uh, ambitious, from from Radiohead that's you know you want them to be ambitious I thought the King of Limbs was uh not so it was not so ambitious was very insular uh Mm. and this uh seemed to be reaching for something and I, I I'm very excited about listening to it uh and and getting to know and understand these songs yeah there's definitely something oh go ahead no no that's it okay there's definitely something to be said for music where just like every single bit of sound has been poured over expertly by in the construction, you know, like yeah. um, uh, lo-fi has its charms, but then just something like this where uh, no, not so much no expense has been spared, but no, uh, no expense of attention has been spared right on uh, every single element. And um, you just, the sound is sort of awe inspiring how, uh, how both fussed over and yet natural it seems at the same time um, when real experts like this do that. And, uh, you know, I said it's, I found the album sort of uh, musically hard to grasp, but in a way that I think I will find, you know, lots of depth there as I listen to it again, uh, hopefully tonight. Um, and uh, uh, we'll see. I bet, I bet the Insta reactions I've read already will be, um, will seem either shallow or wrong in some way as time goes by, because there seems to be a lot to, to wrestle with on this album to me. It's uh, complex emotions and complex music. Uh, did, did anything in particular stand out to you? Any, any particular moment? Yeah. I mean, on such a, on such a sort of smeary abstract album, the, uh, the, uh, ravaging rock of identikit definitely stood yes. out. <laughs> I, I've I've loved that song. I mean, they've been playing it live for a while. Yeah, and I, I always liked it, and I think it really. Uh, I think they crush the studio version of this. Yes, totally. It's so. I mean, every time, uh, you know, like it's it's this way with the rock songs on in rainbows too. Like the first two tracks, it's impressive how they can find ways to make things really rock and be really weird at the same time. Um, and Identikit, I think, definitely did that. Um, obviously, True Love Waits, I think that will probably be the most written so- written about song for the next three years. So uh, I don't know if everybody needs our, my instant reaction on that. But um, then... Um, for that one, uh, I-, I thought, I mean, that I just loved hearing Tom sing it in the studio... Yeah. which was you know pretty pretty moving um yeah i i gotta say i just love the way he wails on the live album so much and uh this is a very different take on it obviously yeah so it's, yeah uh, it's interesting yes um and then there were a couple other songs towards the end um present tense i really liked uh i don't know generally i found the second half a little bit easier to uh sink into interesting and most of those songs were really good i thought um but we'll see yeah um i i would say you know we were gonna we didn't ended up not being able to talk we were gonna talk about burn the witch last week uh so i i think that song is really fucking cool 
I, I loved Johnny's, uh, you know, the strings he composed for that and that how the orchestra sound on that was so, uh, such, so kind of forceful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love the dissonant part at the end where, uh, I don't know. It just gets a little bit more complex on the outro. And uh, and the sort of like 8 8 bit NES beats that show up for in the mm-hmm. in the second verse are really fucking cool. Um uh and and Tom singing is uh no surprise. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable on it especially. My favorite part is when he sit. There's just I don't know. I could go through every the way he sings every single line. Uh yeah. but he says like abandon all reason and the way he sings it he sounds like he's going a little crazy himself it's just it's just one of those little things that you know they did on purpose yeah Yeah. um in this song which um i like to pretend is them uh telling coldplay to go fuck themselves because they can do it like (laughs) 10 times better i did when when i first heard the song i thought like oh this is like if uh uh when I ruled the world wasn't the worst song of all time. <laughs> um, that's, I feel like that statement is inaccurate because there are just do- a dozen Coldplay songs that are worse than that one. I, I hate that one. I hate like a uh, mawkish, uh, uh, you know, pseudo uh, deep things like that more than I hate anything else. So yeah. Um, and uh, I guess my final thought on this album is that uh, for now is that I, I think that um, Radiohead's always kind of been driven by the collaboration between Tom York, who is this, uh, you know, um, generational talent as a singer songwriter mm-hmm. and uh, his collaboration with Johnny Greenwood, who is uh, kind of a visionary composer and musical uh technician yeah, um, certainly by pop music standards yes and and um uh and you know and I, I think that this album more than the others really uh i don't know it brings it brings that to the forefront it you kind of like can mm-hmm. it's like almost like both of them are sort of you can see their contributions uh really clearly um, yeah. No offense to the uh, unbelievable uh, rhythm section of the band, um, who are all um, amazing. Yeah, I, and on past albums, you know, like I think uh, their work, you know, uh, Phil and Colin's work on In Rainbows is uh, a huge part of the reason why I love that album so much. And uh, it's hard to detect them that much here. I mean, obviously, you can hear drums and bass sometimes, but. It doesn't really drive the music like yeah. it does there. There, there. there are definitely some moments of of you know yeah. where Colin is there, uh, but it's it's not it's not quite as. Um, if nothing else, it's just not mixed as high. Yes, yes, true. Um, so yeah, great album uh, so far. Um, it'll it'll take some time to figure out where it slots in the the overall oeuvre of Radiohead. Yes, yes, we will have that discussion several episodes from now because we've talked about Radiohead way too much and our, yeah. uh, we have good <laughs> cause, but yeah, uh, it's, it's time for other bands. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Now we're going to talk sort of more, uh, uh, sorry, more abstractly about, um, how we, uh, how we go about listening to music in this day and age. Yes. So the reason I brought, this topic to our attention um, was that I, I found in our um, in different ways in our initial episodes, it kept popping up like not just why we like music, but how um, you and I in some ways uh, very have very similar ways that we listen to music or have experienced it. And in some ways um, have experienced it uh, really differently um, mm-hmm. and just how that affects um, you know, what we look for and like in music, um, mm-hmm. and maybe what, uh, we, um, get from it, um, or, or, a need from it. Um, and, uh, I think that for me, 
I'm always listening to music in some way, um, searching out, um, you know, these songs that will go on um, a a set list of sorts. Because, like, I, I mm-hmm. go back to when I was first listening to music, um, you know, I, I, of course I had like Michael Jackson CDs and Weird Al CDs and, <laughs> you know, whatever, you know, so I was listening to, you know, I, I owned the Beaches soundtrack so I could listen to Wind Beneath My Wings. This is pre- certainly, yeah, my mom put that on a lot. This is prepubescent Joe. Um, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, in sixth grade, uh, uh, this kid whose nickname was Chucky, uh, played, was in our, my car for a field trip. Um, and, uh, uh, he had for somehow managed to bring a boom box and his, uh, nevermind CD and played oh, a, fuck. played a smells like teen spirit, uh, several times in a row. And of course I was, uh, um, transformed by the way this song <laughs> made me feel. Um, so since then, um, um, I've been listening to music, um, on my stereo in my room. Um, that's sort of been, um, my go-to, uh, uh, stage for music and always in a way that, uh, um, I, I would, Sometimes, you know, I, I would listen to whole albums sometimes, but a lot of times I was like skipping around, playing songs I like, constructing set lists that like fit my emotional mood. You know, like if I was, you know, uh, of course, early on, those moods were almost always, you know, being upset that about some girl related <laughs> issue. Um, and like kind of putting together this perfect, okay, you know, these three Smashing Pumpkin songs followed by this <laughs> Weezer song followed by, you know, uh, Wonderwall, you know, that's just, that's really, that's the, you know, if, if my band, you know, was playing at this party that the girl was at right now, that's how I would like passive aggressively express my emotions to her was, you know, and so, so I could like play that kind of imagine, um, what was happening. And, um, this is why you had like three kids before we graduated high school. You just, <laughs> what? wait, what? wait, why? Because the strategy was so successful. Oh yes. Well, saying. see, the problem is I never had the band and never got invited to the parties. So I, this, uh, I had to imagine all these things, you know, uh, um, it was all an imagined, uh, it was like an imagined concert with real catharsis, um, given that the jumping around was real. Um, <laughs> although it, it should also be noted uh, how much of this this uh, method was influenced by the fact that you were an only child whose bedroom was like a hundred yards from your parents' bedroom, totally inside of a flip, split floor plan house. Yes, and that my parents like gave me, you know, a, 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 a you know. Uh, an amazing stereo one Christmas, like the best gift they ever gave. I mean, amazing to me as a kid in that it was like my own stereo um, and didn't care that I listened to whatever music I liked Um, uh, with limits. I think, I think even then I would, I might've caught some trouble if I'd brought home like white zombie, a white zombie CD or something (laughs) like that. Um, But um, (coughs) Ultimately, um, to this day, I still listen to music. Um, like some, my ultimate music experience is still when I'm alone. Uh, you know, whether that means I'm actually alone or I'm like just listening on my headphones and I'm kind of picking the songs that I need to hear, like mm-hmm. right now. Um, so. Does the post physical format era actually suit you much better since you can now construct playlists on the fly at will? And, uh, you know, there's no swapping of discs and so forth. Probably. But, you know, I, I think of like, no matter what, like you end up being a creature of habit and you're like listening to either the things you've been listening to for the past 20 years or like the, what you've heard in the past year. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Do you still have any uh, CDRs of mixes you burned back in the 90s or anything? 
I don't. That's a good question. I, I well, no, because I, I have. I was so hard to burn mixes then that I didn't do it. That's a lot. true. <laughs> well, in the early two thousands, that's really yes. when it started when we were in college. Yes. Um, uh, I feel like all these all these mixes and set lists are are basically in my head. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, for me, I've always been much more oriented towards the uh, the album is handed down that's by the artist. Um, hold on, Siri, just control your control your shit, Joe. <laughs> See, I just I just put an elbow right into Siri's face. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry, okay, Siri. sorry. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, yeah, I um. You know, I did have a decent stereo in high school uh, because my dad is uh, something of an audiophile. I believe I've mentioned his $20,000-ish stereo he rocks now. Every Um, chance you get. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Um, But uh, uh, so he got me, you know, again, it's that wasn't super fancy, but a a decent uh, amp and uh, speakers to put in my bedroom when I was a kid. But... Um, as we've discussed, there were a lot more content restrictions on what I could listen to. So I had to go for the, uh, the, uh, Christ bodlerized versions of alternative rock and so forth. Um, we should tell the people the story of the time you came over with all our other friends for my 16th birthday party. And, uh, for some reason I was just like, I was so desperate for the good devil music that, uh, I insisted we play zero really loud on the magna planers in my room. And my solution to the lyric in the middle was to just turn down the volume. For a yes. Second when Billy shouts, God is empty, um, which fooled no one. And uh, I believe that was, it was after that, that my parents banned me from the smashing pumpkins for the first time, a band that was immediately flouted. Um, but, uh, uh, well, not immediately, but, uh, within a year. Um, so, uh, I had a little bit more, uh, skullduggery to go through with my, uh, with my devil rock, but, um, that's what headphones were for. Um, I do love listening to music loud, but unlike you, I have, uh, moved to the period where, um, uh, small children just make that impractical. Part of the reason I'm remodeling a house right now is that, uh, when I'm done, I will have a much better, uh, private uh, media enjoyment room separated from where everybody's sleeping and um, uh, more able to actually take advantage of the pretty sweet speakers I have. Um, and, nice. Uh, yeah. So uh, one day I too will uh, enjoy a Radiohead album, uh, presuming there is another one, uh, for the first time on speakers. And um, yeah, it really is the best way physically to do it. Um, but then also not just speaking about the physical thing. Um, you know, so I listened to almost all of my music on a pair of, uh, Sony, uh, what are they called? I'm going to pull these off for a sec and look at the name on the side. Right. MDR 7506, uh, studio headphones, which are the current, uh, uh, number one recommendation from the wire cutter for headphones under $150. Um, but, uh, this is a pair, this is a, these are headphones that have been used in studios for the past 25 years without modification. And, um, I like them, but, um, mostly, uh, I've just always been really attached to the album format. I, uh, hardly ever make mixes except when you can me to for the podcast. <laughs> um, and, um, instead I will, um, 99, unless I'm sort of in new music, music discovery mode, which I believe I've mentioned before, how I do that is I just listen to everything that's posted on pitchfork and anything I see sort of elsewhere on the internet that seems interesting, uh, on a daily basis at work to, uh, try to just get a steady influx of new possibilities. Um, but, uh, with that duty out of the way, I'll just put on an album and listen to it straight through. And I always feel a little annoyed if I can't get to the end of it because I have to go do something else. Um, to the point that if I, yeah, like if it's 20 minutes before lunch, I might not put on any music on at all because, uh, I won't be able to finish an album by then. Um, 
I don't know. I just, uh, and so that obviously affects uh, the type of music that I sort of add to my library. So the other thing I do that's weird is I do not subscribe to a streaming service. And instead I, uh, and neither do I pirate, um, but uh, I actually purchase albums whole. Uh, occasionally I will buy an individual track if it's a really great track and I really don't particularly care for the rest of the album. Um, but uh, almost all the time I'm just buying albums whole, uh, usually on discount because the internet has a lot of those these days. Um, and uh, I like that because uh, with streaming, if I stopped, if I was subscribing to Spotify or whatever, and then I stopped, uh, my library on there, the sort of record of everything I'd done, the uh, playlist or whatever I'd constructed would all be gone. And uh, I really... I really put a lot of value in feeling as if I own this music and it's mine. Mm. Um, and uh, right. that sort of creates a bond between me and the art that uh, yeah. this is something I've invested in and that I now, um, that I in turn sort of, I have an obligation to uh, to know and like that music um, now that yeah. I've uh, added it to my thing. That's a really interesting, I mean, you know, we could have a whole separate podcast about how you know, about pirating and how we own music and, and what that means. But it's, it's interesting how that intersects with the listening experience when you, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, own an album and you're playing your copy of it. Mm-hmm. That's a very uh, powerful experience. I mean, like, it's like my, you know, I still have my copy of Melancholy that I bought at Target in, in the night in in the 90s um uh and uh that listening to that particular copy of that music is um it's just more meaningful to me even though it's the exact same music that's <laughs> anywhere else uh, but it's, yeah. it's interesting that our our ways of listening to music uh were different before they're different now um, even though I, I do listen to more complete albums now, just because like if I'm at work or something, that's, you know, I, I'll just put it on, um, mm-hmm. and, and listen to it all the way through. Um, but that even though it's so different, we still have come to like so many of the same bands and yeah. songs, um, off, yeah. often for the same reasons. Um, uh, I, I I don't I don't think I don't think I know completely why. Yeah. So um let me say one more thing about the album and why I value it. It's I feel like there's a sort of uh structure to an album. You know, there's uh something that's forty to fifty minutes long. Obviously there are other length albums, but that feels like the sort of classic length to me. And even now in the digital era when it could be any length, that's where they usually come in. Right. Um there's a sort of uh uh you know, uh, not really, it's not a narrative, but there's sort of a structure to it. The way, the same way one, there's a standard structure to, uh, plays or, uh, plots of any kind. And, um, I don't know. I just want an album to, uh, what I like about albums is that they can sort of start you off in one place and take you through a few modes and, um, uh, leave you in another one. Even if, uh, you know, almost all the time these things are cobbled together from tracks that have been written separately. And then the, the artist had to go back and figure out how to uh, segue them all together. I mean, even like Radiohead, which is very much an album oriented band. Uh, as we know, these songs have been written over two decades and then uh, pieced together during, uh, you know, when the time comes to actually record them. Um, I still just, uh, I really like the way that particular, um, uh, musical experience works to the point that I, it just crowds out everything else. Like I'll listen to individual songs sometimes. Um, maybe especially if I'm in in an especially worked up emotional state about something, maybe I'll find the one perfect song that'll go with it. But for the most part, um, I'm looking for that sort of thing. So I was curious if you relate to the album in the same way, or if there are other types of things you're trying to get out of music that lead to other ways of listening to it at all. Um, <laughs> let's listen to this song by Cloud Nothings, um, uh, Wasted Days. 
and uh, so I, I talk that I could talk about sort of why I would listen to that song not in the context of the album and uh, yeah we'll go from there all right I just got so into that I I realized as I almost uh, threw my phone across the room because <laughs> I had it in my hand and I was like air drumming or or air <laughs> just air I was just playing air instrument there's just wasn't just, just the air rage instrument <laughs> air moshing yes <laughs> which that song is a great example of like what I'm talking about where. Um, there was, I feel there's a period, you know, the late 2000s where um, I would just go crazy listening to that song and the one before mm-hmm. it on the album, uh, No Future, No Past. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, um, for the record, we are in complete agreement that that band fucking rules. Yes. Um, but I, you know, I, and that there, the album um, that it's on whose name uh, is not attack on memory. Thank you. You knew an album name for once. Um, uh, is a very good album, but I would say that I've probably listened to those two songs from it. Um, you know, five times more, uh, than, Ah. than all the other songs on the album. Um, because I have a more personal relationship with those songs. Um, they really, I mean, I think they're the standout tracks on the album. Um, and, you know, uh, just that moment where later in, 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 in Wasted Days where he's screaming, you know, I thought I would be more than this over and over. Mm-hmm. And then it goes, it's the breakdown and it builds up to that again. I mean, that's just, it's the the height of what I'm looking for in music where I have that catharsis. Um, mm-hmm. And even though I have mixed feelings on what the end whether that catharsis has a truly lasting result it does have a temporary result that is extremely useful to me and that um Hmm. listening to the album uh is a very enjoyable experience um and they're probably and they're definitely whole albums i mean kid a is a great example or um you know airplane over the sea or you know and or um um you know vampire weekend's first album that where i love listening to the whole thing i love that emotional experience um i guess to me i don't i never really value um i don't think the fact that i might get that um overall experience um trying to think of a good well like american analog set their album no by heart um uh, i spent a lot of time listening to that from beginning to end and um like when i was in grad school and uh it had this very mellowing uh, effect uh on me hmm. and um i don't really value that effect any more or less than if there's just like one song that would do the same thing yeah uh huh so it, it sounds like you you sort of uh, like your music, you sort of approach music as like a, a tonic, like you're trying to adjust your, your spiritual state by uh, listening to a particular kind of music at a particular time, uh, in some cases anyway. Yes, I would say that that is um, uh, frequently the goal. That's interesting. I, uh, I feel like more... I'm. Tr- Maybe this is the same thing, but uh, for me, um, 
I'm more often trying to uh, not find something that will cause me to feel a certain way, but if I am feeling a certain way, mm-hmm. uh, find something that uh, expresses that way I'm already feeling really well and um, sort of deepens or enriches the experience of being like that. Well, I, I would. Uh, I mean, I would say that I. Yeah, well, I would probably do both. I mean, to me, like I said, it might be the same. Yeah, thing. I think. It, I think it could <laughs> be the same thing. It could be the same thing. <laughs> Um, but it's like, like if I, but like you said, mellows you out. Like I, I never have a situation where I'm like, Oh, I'm feeling stressed. I'm going to listen to something that will chill me out. Like if I'm stressed, I probably want to listen to something that's, uh, something like cloud nothings that will get me, that will, uh, mirror my, uh, my internal state. And if, if it's going to do anything for me, it's going to do it by, by, uh, by, uh, creating a climax of that. Uh, emotional state uh, so that it then yeah. can dissipate. Well, I would say that, that, I mean, even if I say some album is kind of that <coughs> mellow, mellows me out, I just mean it brings me to a more mellow form of angst. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that would be more fair. accurate. Um, fair, fair, fair. But again, it does, it does seem like that even though our music listing habits are different, that it, it's hard to detect uh, much difference in our goals that's true. Uh, well, yes, we're esthetes, man. We both want to have, uh, we both <laughs> want to engage in the art qua art. Um, we're not, uh, you know, like people talk about this is my workout jam or this is my uh, studying jam or whatever. Like I, I basically never use music that way. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. True. That's, that's yeah. I, uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, uh, I don't know. I think art is as good of a thing as a human can do with his limited time on this earth or her limited time. Um, and, uh, I'm just trying to, uh, to music is <sighs> maybe a really incredible novel uh, will affect me more than music, but that's doubt debatable at best. Um, and music is pretty much my favorite form of, uh, aesthetic experience. So, well, I think music, um, you know, uh, uh, I think that one thing that I, I like about music so uh, much, um, which is going to be a tremendous understatement, um, it's actually, I once had a uh, professor say to me that like poetry is only really valuable if you memorize it, because then you can recall it and like use it in a, um, uh, a, you know, a situation where you need it. Um, yeah. And music does that for you by being uh, incredibly memorable um, yeah. in an easy way. And I think that's why, um, you know, a lot of times it's, I'd have to, you might get into the weeds here thinking about like music is valuable when, even when you're not listening to it. But uh, I think that it has a unique quality among all art of being something that can, uh, it's like a talisman that you can wear, you know, mm-hmm. through whatever uh, trials or tribulations you're going through that, you know, your favorite novel or film can't quite be, um, um, even if it has a, uh, this, you know, a similar emotional effect on you. Huh? I mean, I definitely pull things out of, uh, I, I find myself drawing parallels between art I love of all kinds and real situations I find myself in. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, there is, I would say your professor is half right. That is certainly one of the great values of art is uh, having the perfect line of a poem or musical lyric, which is basically the same thing. Um, you know, uh, just pop into your head and perfectly encapsulate uh, something you're uh, you're experiencing right then. But, um, I don't know. There's also a sort of, uh, uh, just thinking about, uh, particularly excellent times you experienced, uh, a work of art, um, uh, also has a value even after it's passed. Um, even if you're not sort of relating it to something else that's going on, yeah. um, you know, like there, for instance, you know, certainly my memories of, uh, particular concerts I've been to, um, which uh, is, I think, certainly an artistic experience. Um, oh, yeah. You know, live on, even though it's not like, oh, 
dealing with my son right now is just like that one time I saw swans or whatever. <laughs> True. Wow. That is... <laughs> Although I'm sure there are a few moments that maybe it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Um, uh, total aside, by the way, swans should have come up in our discussion uh, a time or two ago about uh, bands that have had a really long period of uh, critical acclaim. It's different from Radiohead, but that dude is 60 and he's uh, producing his best music ever. Yeah. That's, so, that's him. He's, he's, he's on a certain plane. Maybe like him and yeah. him and Jay Mascus who are just like, how are you still yeah. this good at this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jay Mascus is a guy who's sort of stayed at the exact same level, but he was never, he's always been fairly underground. True. Um, even when he was on a major label anyway. Uh, so, well, so let me, uh, I'm not sure how related this is or not, but I, I, I do have this question where, I spent now I have these really nice uh, speakers mm-hmm. and I kind of had them in high school, but I spent a long time only listening through to music through eh, mediocre computer speakers. Oh God. And decent can... and decent headphones like yours. But I mean, it's just like, I, I find it interesting that, uh, well, they were, they were actually, they were like bows you know, it was like $150 Bose computer speakers. It probably aren't that bet- much better than the $40 ones. Um, yeah. But I really like still like all that. You know, like that's how I listened to In Rainbows the first time. And it did just. Oh, my God. I know. But it has. A, <laughs> and then I have it also had a pair of Sony headphones that I, I you know, used yeah. as well. Um, it, I wasn't a total animal. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> Yes, what I'm trying to say is that I, t- I I can't I could never argue that having like an amazing pair of speakers would really affect my ability to figure out if some song is great uh, or something that I I I will love. Um. Yeah, I would say there is a certain level of badness past which I wouldn't be able to t- really tell. The, the, it would certainly hurt certain kinds of music uh, to the point. But your $50 spe- uh, Bose speakers are probably well above the threshold where you can basically tell how good the music True. is. True. Um, well, like, but I could tell, like, how fucking amazing jo- that, um, you know, Joanna Newsom's Sawdust and Diamonds was when we were playing it through the shitty speakers yeah. in your uh, Suzu Trooper. Yeah, uh, those were... Now, to be fair, my dad did have a, a woofer in that thing and everything. Well, there you but, go. Um, <laughs> which is important for the the lower notes on the harp. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, no, I agree. Um, once you're past a certain threshold of quality, you know, you're, you're not listening to some single speaker uh, uh, FM portable radio from the 60s. Um, you know, once you're past that, you can pretty much tell whether the music is good. And then... What you're getting beyond that is just, you know, uh, an incrementally better musical experience uh, that time you listen to it, which um, is uh, definitely valuable. I mean, I bought a thousand dollar pair of uh, Mackie studio monitors in college because uh, that I absolutely could not afford Um, (laughs) (laughs) because uh, I was uh, making music on my computer at the time. And I was, it's, it really is fucking impossible to mix things properly without decent speakers. Um, But um, uh, so I've always had uh, pretty damn good speakers available um, throughout my adult life because I still have those monitors. Um, But um, uh, so that's interesting. I, I basically have never had to hmm. listen to the $50 Bose system, um, since high school, basically. Uh, and even then I had a good stereo. It was just, my headphone game was, was, uh, real busted at the time. Um, so yeah, I don't know. People should, people should def- do everything they can to spend up to a certain level of decency. And then beyond that, don't kill your budget trying to uh, get the very best possible thing. You're going to be able to enjoy great music without it. And um, definitely don't get into some sort of uh, audiophile dick measuring contest that you don't have the wallet for. Oh my God. No. Um, uh, I, I cannot argue with a single bit of that advice. Um, uh, what, 
we're gonna we're gonna cut out this awkward silence. Yeah, no, I just <laughs> I'm just gonna yeah yeah. <laughs> we should just wrap up. I think we're pretty much. We should. Do I feel like yeah. okay? So do you have any do you have any final thoughts that you didn't uh, that we didn't get to anything anything random about how you listen to music? No, actually, I think I covered everything. We got the uh, the equipment, the physical space, the uh, situation i guess i might say um when it's music i really love i do like to not just put it on in the background while i'm fucking around in excel at work but like yeah. sit down and just be listening to that music maybe be going for a walk or something that's actually pretty nice uh at night in particular um but uh being as i live in the suburbs where um one can walk without fear of physical harm maybe only uh, fear of the neighbors looking askance at you because you're the weird guy who walks around the neighborhood at night. <laughs> um, but I also have a big backyard, so I can just chill there. Um, uh, so, but yeah, if it's if it's a really great, um, particularly a more sort of uh, introspective and reflective out type of music, uh-huh. um, I definitely want to sort of make that the centerpiece of whatever I'm doing when I listen to it. Um. Do you have a Do you have any story of like your worst musical listening experience? Hmm. I just I just sprung this question upon you because I just thought yeah, of it. I know. The hmm. You know, there was one time. So <laughs> this is not really an answer to that question, but it'll be a good story. Okay. Um. So in college, uh, I had a couple roommates, and um, uh, we. This was when I was most into The Moon in Antarctica, which is an album I still love. Right. The uh, Modest Mouse album. And um, uh, got really high one time and was blasting that whole album, which is like 70 minutes long or something, um, late at night. And uh, so I was just out in the living room listening to it loud on my stereo. And apparently I was... uh, (laughs) kneeling on this recliner we had in the living room facing the back of it. So I was like kneeling on the seat of it, but upright beyond that, uh, facing, you know, over the back. And, you know, I was really into the music because I was stoned and that is a great stoned album. Um, and, uh, just like rocking back and forth real hard. And, uh, but the problem is I was doing that and my, uh, hands were down low and my waist was obscured. So my roommates seeing me from the back of the seat, uh, were absolutely convinced and are convinced to this day that I was masturbating in the middle of the living room, <laughs> listening to this music. And they even took video and I admit it definitely looks like I'm masturbating oh, video. Into wow. The, into the back of this chair. Yeah. I don't know if they still have it. Um, but they gave me no end of shit of that. Uh, about that uh, and would probably still bring it up uh, if I were to see them again tomorrow. Um, So uh, uh, I swear I would never do such a thing and was not doing such a thing, but was in fact just really swaying back and forth to the music. Um, Certainly I have no memory of uh, dropping my pants in the middle of the living room. And if I did, then I don't know what was in that weed. Um, That sounds like one of your best musical listening experiences. Yeah. Not one of the worst. It's actually really good. Um, I would say, speaking of good ones uh, and drugs, uh, the time I listened to uh, Sigur Rosa's, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this, but Agitas Birjun on Shrooms was incredible. Um, I think it's so I recommend Al- that. Algaitis Birjun. Algaitis. Uh, I get the, I know the, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. The the J should probably be pronounced like a Y. Um so yeah, uh, that one, as far as bad experiences, um, I've had bad concerts. Like the second time I saw Modest Mouse in a, in a venue that was like a ring of five rows of seats around a, a circular stage in the center that rotated as the band played. That's just the worst idea of all time. Yeah. And it was, it's especially bad because, you know, so the, the space is shaped like a flying saucer. It's a, you know, a big ring. Um, and it's actually circular inside. And the, the result is that you're getting uh, reverberations from many different distances at once because you've got a curved surface opposite you. And it just makes the sound <laughs> utterly mushy. Um, you couldn't really 
pick out what was going on in the music at all. I also, the Walkman opened for them, which are another great band. So it was just a shame oh, that the venue sucked so that hard. It does suck because the Walkman are awesome live. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have no, I, I feel like I may have to add a worst musical experience to our next episode. Cause I, I can't think of a truly bad one now. I mean, I've listened to bad music. Well, yeah, that's because different. Of the situation. I feel like anytime you're listening to one of your favorite <laughs> albums and like, or, and with someone you don't like that much, like in the room, mm. like if it's just, or like it's played at a party, you're like, don't, don't play in the airplane over the sea in the middle of this like shitty party. Oh just yeah. Do not that do it. That that's, that's annoying. Yeah. I may have even cleansed from my mind, uh, the specifics <laughs> of such, uh, experiences. Yeah. And especially then if that person gets like really into it and you're like, Oh, i have to say again i don't know if this has ever actually happened to me my buddy feels like okay i've actually got a good way i've got a good story to add this with my buddy eric um who i just saw this weekend in houston uh paul he sends you his highest regards uh (laughs) and um uh he i um when he lived in dc he went through a phase um, where he listened uh, to the first song from uh, Philip Glass's opera Einstein on the Beach um, over and over and over again. Um, <laughs> and this song kind of goes, it's just people counting numbers in a weird sequence. Um <laughs> in you know it's like one three four five like just that over and over again and uh-huh. i visited him during this time and and he began to play this <laughs> and i couldn't get him to stop and it just got into the <laughs> sixth or seventh time through of this song and uh i began to worry about his long-term sanity and my short-term <laughs> sanity um <laughs> And that that could be the uh, worst music experience, just in terms of uh, pure torture for me. Oh my um, god! Yeah, just that's awesome. <laughs> One time when I was first uh, collecting vinyl, I found a like three dollar copy of uh, Philip Glass's Liquid Days, which is a collection of songs he wrote in his minimalist classical style but trying to be like pop songs and then they're sung over by uh, pop musicians who are, uh, you know, or sort of more artistically inclined big time pop musicians of the 80s when the album came out, like uh, David Byrne sings on there and everything. Yeah. I was so psyched for this. I was like, this is cool. I put it on and it is just fucking unlistenable. Like it is, (laughs) I don't even remember what it sounds like, but it's not unlike what you just described. Um and uh, I don't know, maybe I should go back and give it another chance. But I remembered being like, oh, there's, this is not actually cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, well. Yeah, well, there you go. I think what we concluded is that um, there's no worse listening experience than bad music. Which yes. is... Good music is always at least a little good. Yes. Bad music is always bad. Uh, these are the kind of deep conclusions we've come to here on Savage Beast. <laughs> Indeed. Um, All right, everybody. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. We are uh, Savage Beast on Twitter. We're at Savage Beast Pod. On the internet, we're savagebeastpod.com and we're savagebeastpod at gmail.com as well. Uh, we would appreciate any feedback you can provide via any of those channels, uh, especially if you could subscribe to us or send us reviews on iTunes. That's cool. Um, it's disturbing because I continually see more jokes about how um, every jackass hipster in the world has a podcast now. Yeah. So yeah. We, we need to. We need to. We need to not be um, just another podcast. We need your guys help to, uh, to be that way. So, um, whether you're uh, a longtime listener because you're my brother or you're uh, a new fan, um, feel free to, uh, pass us around and give us positive or negative feedback. We look forward to it. Yeah. And thanks to everyone who followed us because of, uh, Paul's, uh, radiohead.com tracker bot. Uh, yeah. Good, good job, Paul. (laughs) 
that was fun. Uh, I always like little coding projects because, uh, you know, I don't know. They're fun. And a great success. Um, okay. Uh, we will, uh, speak to you all shortly. (laughs) 